This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. Con Giovanni, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It is transfer deadline day, and the only team going on a panic spree looking for new signings is, checks notes, Liverpool? Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Eric, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Andrew, what has happened to the unimpeachable transfer committee? Well, Liverpool have had a ridiculous defensive injury fiasco is probably an unfair word to describe it but like they're making use of everybody they can possibly make use in defense and it's still not that secure for them uh so this is not coming at an unexpected time i think there was talk earlier in the window that they wanted to buy they didn't want to go out and buy an expensive player that would you know coincide with something the transfer committee would 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 align with because they know these players that they have the Joe Gomez's, the Virgil van Dijk's of this world will come back. The Fabinho's even of the world will come back. But they do need cover. So they've gone and bought two players for a reasonable amount amounts of money. And uh, on loan, I believe, first of all, or a very cheap amount given for Ben Davis. Is it Ben Davis? Am I getting or that confused with the Tottenham defender? It's Davis. The same, name. same name. Okay, from Preston. And this guy, how do you pronounce his name? Ozan Kabak. I have no what? idea if that's correct. Well, Ron was it uh, from Schalke, and he's well enough liked. Schalke are having a horrific season uh, with Christian Gross at the helm, but they've signed Mustafi because that can possibly help them go get better. But you know, the uh, he he is a guy with a, a bit of uh, nouse about him. I suppose that's the the nicest way to say it. He's commanding in the defensive zone, and. Uh, he's well used to fighting and he's been fighting this whole season in a, in a losing battle for Schalke so he's probably pretty happy with himself I won't go as far as Paul Merson saying uh, this lad doesn't know where he is and he's got luckiest man in the world joining Liverpool after being nowhere uh, this morning but um, I'm I'm sure he'll enjoy the bright lights of Liverpool over Gelsenkirchen Yeah the like the reason I say um, or I, I kind of highlight the transfer committee for Liverpool isn't, isn't necessarily that like Okay, we all we all knew they needed a centre back, like, but we need we knew this even in the summer. We knew that they had a total lack of depth there. Uh, you know, we all said if Virgil van Dijk yeah. gets injured, they'll they'll have problems. Yeah. Uh, he he got injured. Then Joe Gomez got injured like th- two or three weeks later. Uh, yeah, which just compounded the issue. Fabinho's had iffy fitness issues. Joel Matip has had bad fitness issues pretty much his whole yeah. time at Liverpool. Like it's obviously it was basically the nine misfortunes tagline yeah. of you know the, what what could possibly go wrong oh everything uh, yeah that everything did go wrong for Liverpool but you have to account for that because um, like they have played the likes of Nat Phillips a centre back as well but he he was in uh, the second Bundesliga last season he, he wasn't even that good and and I suppose they've borne the fruit of that when he's played he's he's not been that good for Liverpool but yeah the the whole point is. I suppose it does come down to the fact that uh, it, it it's pretty obvious that FSG, the owners of the club, don't really want to put out any money for a centre-back for, you know, whatever reason, whether it's to do with uh, their finances being affected by COVID, 
maybe it's the fact that they kind of they've won the league, they've won the Champions League, they want a real in investment in the club. You know, it's it's hard to say at the moment because it's still so early. Um, but it, it's become clear now as we get to the end of January. We're now in February uh, that. Klopp basically managed to convince them, okay, what if I sign the cheapest player possible that that can fit our team? And, you know, really it's a good test for the transfer committee. It's going to be a good good test for that to see if Ben Davies does come in or if Quebec comes in and and they actually make a difference. Because, you know, signing a player from bottom of the league, Bundesliga team and from a mid-table championship club isn't really... You know, it's not going to get that many fans excited. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they get in- integrated into the squad. Yeah, like we say, there's a couple of things there. Like the, I don't know about FSG and their position financially. I, I, I like the rumors were that they didn't like Liverpool. The transfer committee, Jurgen Klopp, didn't want to spend money that they might necessarily want to spend in other areas of the squad. Like I know the rumors were that they anticipated at least one if not two of their main centre forwards you know Firmino, Salah and Sané uh, Saudi Mane rather that they, two of them would be sold to, to a large windfall and then that would refund uh, part of the, the next phase of Liverpool and that's not happening given the current Covid environment that we all live in and global football lives in so they're having to think of more creative ways to um, to kind of progress the team I think Diogo Jota is part of that and I think other signings that Liverpool are going to make including these guys are part of that. It's it's kind of incremental growth rather than a big splurge the way they did on Virgil van Dijk or the way they did on Naby Keita or the way they did on um, Mo Salah when they originally signed him. The other side of it, like, I think it, it, I have to agree with you. I think it is very much an eye misfortunes because, you know, you can say, oh, Liverpool needed a new centre-back in the summer. Well, did they really? They had Joe Gomez, they had Virgil van Dijk and they had Joel Matip on the bench if one of them were to get injured or mismatches or to have rotation, as well as promising youngsters like Nate Phillips, as well as different tactical systems they could deploy or dropping the likes of Fabinho back into defence. All of those players got injured. And I think the fact that Joel Matty got injured most recently last week and it's ligament damage, I think he has. So he's going to be out for mine. I think that accelerated these signings and maybe they thought they could get away with it. And I suppose Liverpool are lucky in a way that the window is still open when Matty suffered that injury uh, because they were able to go out and, and make these signings because they wouldn't have been if it happened next week. And just in general, not much else is happening in the window. Like there are a few moves here and there. Is there anything that's kind of jumping out at you? Well, Jesse Lingard will get some game time at West Ham. I think that's having watched West Ham play Liverpool over the weekend. I think it was definitely uh, whether Jesse Lingard can do it for them. It, it's something that the 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 verve and kind of that running from midfield they don't really have they've got you know some good players from set pieces they've got some good I don't want to call it long balls but they they send balls down the wing and cross them in and Jesse Lingard might have a little bit different through the center type of activity for them or someone running into the edge of the box to to hit some shots in I think that might be a bit different for him I think that's an interesting signing if he can get some form back in his game. Um, AZ Maitland-Niles West Brom is interesting because he's you know a solid Premier League player you, you have to say at this point he's looking for ex- like regular match day experience he can play like five or six different positions whether he can play them that proficiently or not is another thing but it's an interesting signing for West Brom considering you know Southampton pulled out because Arsenal were haggling over, or I think it was Maitland-Niles people were haggling over things and he was meant to go to Leicester then and sell to Leicester as they consider them a direct rival so 
it went to West Brom. So it's an interesting choice for the player himself to drop down to a relegation battle where instead of being in a, a really a Champions League battle with Southampton or Leicester or even Arsenal, he's he's dropped down to that. It's a it's a, it's a risky move, I think, because like Sakiran Gibbs have gone there before, Johnny Evans have gone there before. You know, players who have dropped down from the from the upper echelons of the Premier League to these teams and, and really struggle to recover from from that. So we'll see whether that works out from um Mustafi has left the Premier League that 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 accelerated the Liverpool uh signing of uh of the guy I've already forgot his name uh Ozan Kabak which you know he'll probably score a hat-trick now at the weekend um Mustafi's gone to Schalke to try and help them get off the foot of the Bundesliga we'll see if that helps I don't I don't think it will um and I don't know is there any other major events like like I I I'm I'm really unsure of any I suppose this is a very much a, a hold steady transfer window. Not a lot of teams with a lot of money. And there isn't a lot of value out there, I suppose. And there's very few players actually available because everyone is kind of is relying on their squad size. Like they can't they can't sacrifice the, the sizes of some of their squads because they're worried about injuries. They're worried about the match the number of matches they have to play between now and the end of the season. And everyone is probably content enough where they are and, and continuing as they were until the summer comes around again. Yeah, like the, at the start of the month, we did kind of wonder, you know, considering last year that Man United made use of the window and brought in Bruno Fernandes, but it's been a it's been a crazy 12 months and, and it's 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 not the same world that Man United signed Bruno Fernandes in at all. It feels like all. a different world when he was signed. It's like five years ago at this stage. It's only been there a year, which is frightening. Exactly. So, like, it makes sense that we didn't see anything close to that kind of deal this time around. And even in the past, we've seen, I think this is the 10-year anniversary of Fernando Torres to Chelsea and Andy Carroll to Liverpool. You know, we've seen Philip Coutinho. Torres, yeah. Uh, Philip Coutinho as well moved to um, uh, Barcelona in January. So we have seen, uh, and Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool himself. Yeah. Like, we've seen, uh, we've seen big money moves in January, but, uh, like, that was, that's just not the world we live in at the moment and that's not really possible considering we didn't really even see big money moves in the summer like that's usually an indication that we won't see uh much in january and we really didn't so i think that all kind of made sense in the end like there's nothing really surprising about the situation we find ourselves in in regards to the window no no it's a, it's it's really it's sad in some regards because this is all you know it's often exciting you know the dildos outside the emirates was it the emirates where the dildos were I'm trying to remember uh, for, you know, super, you know, transfer deadline day, your man. What's your, what's your man's name on Sky? White with his uh, yellow tie. Jim White. You know, it's, it's a long, it's a long way away from that. Uh, but uh, in terms of the Premier League, Liverpool got back to winning ways. The crisis over before it even really began. They got a 3-1 win against Tottenham and West Ham. Uh, what did you make of those performances? Like they they're definitely not at their best at, at by any stretch of the imagination, but they they were professional and they eventually broke down their opposition with some neat play. Um, like I know that I think it's one of the moments of the season. Even if you know Liverpool don't do anything this season, it was quite funny seeing James Miller being hauled off for uh, what's your man's name, the young fella in midfield for Curtis Jones, and you know Milner in disbelief, speechless at being taken off, and Klopp kind of pushed them around. And they seem to have a bit of a falling out and then immediately Liverpool score and they celebrate, you know, it's kind of, it's a lovely, it's a lovely kind of funny, stupid moment that, that happens in football sometimes. Um, I Like, 
I, Liverpool still needed a bit of magic from their from like their best player, who I still think has been the most solid this season. Uh, he he is the one. Even when he hasn't been scoring, he's been the best performer probably of the of their of their strike team this this year, and they they needed him to pull them out of it again in 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 the match against West Ham. Spurs was a, a bit of a different situation because Spurs were just very Spursy at, at the weekend and last week as well. And I feel that the like at the very least Liverpool needed to beat them by that by that scoreline, and they did. And now they're back, you know. While not in pole position for the title by any stretch of the imagination, they're back within a whisker of Man City at the top. Even if they Man City do have games in hand, they do uh, play Man City coming up. So like these wins were really important going into that game because if they, I, I'd even say if they only won one of these and and lost the other, like if they dropped any points in these two games, you you'd have to say like City are gone. Uh, yeah into that match or at least that that match would become a complete must win whereas now you think maybe liverpool could settle for a draw um although it is a, it is at anfield so there's a lot going well, into that you now like both teams have good momentum going into it which is kind of what we want to see yeah like it, it, it's it's going to be an exciting match and you know i know you have your opinions about the man united arsenal match and other and other recent occurrences about how you know negative the football was or how if not negative, how without imagination the football was. And there is a worry that the Liverpool-Man City match could descend into that. But based on recent fixtures between the sides, they're one of the, I suppose, anom- anomalies in top, in top of the division football where, you know, a lot of teams play very cagey football. Usually Man City-Liverpool is a bit balls to the wall. And, you know, the teams really go for it, at least in the league uh, matches. So... Yeah, it's good that they're both going into it with a bit of form behind them, with a bit of you know something to play for as well. It's not like Liverpool are are shot to nothing; like they're it's not like they're ten points behind and and similar for Man City. It's not like they're ten points behind, so they both have uh, you know something on the line in this match. And I think they kind of breed the best games in it between Klopp and and Pep Guardiola sides. At least they have in the past. And then we mentioned Tottenham losing three one to Liverpool. They follow that defeat up with another defeat, a one 0 away to Brighton. Uh, is is it all spiraling out of control now for for Tottenham now that Harry well, injured? Yeah, one of the things that crucially that happened in that match against Liverpool in the first half is they lost Harry Kane to a what 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 is the diagnosis at this point? His ankle injury is resurfaced, and that is a concern. It, it it hampered Harry Kane's career for a good over a year, I think between. Between different breaks in 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 his uh, in his game time and yeah, I think he was the crucial outball. I think Summon Young has been the best player for Tottenham this season by a mile, and he's continued to be a danger for them. But without that that kind of yin and yang, that balance that that Harry Kane brought to the attacking triumphant of, of Spurs, they're kind of uh, without much without much hope you know you're you're only as good as your first replacement as as the old adage goes I, I don't know who said it but someone said it and uh yeah you're only as good as your weakest link and in that case it's whoever comes in for harry kane at spurs and they, they're not going to sign anyone to replace them troy parrot's gone to switch so i don't know who who else could come in and really fill the gap that he fills i don't think anyone else in that squad is is anywhere near as capable as harry kane is at at that kind of link up play and he he was i think he still is the top assist maker in in the premier league this season and replacing those assists is going to be extremely difficult and let alone his goals and spurs are so overly dependent on son and and kane for goals that without one there i worry that they won't get any goals at all yeah because um the the man that did come in to replace harry kane against brighton was gareth bale the multiple time champions league winner 
scorer in Champions League finals. Uh, you know, one of the the world record yeah. transfer fee at one point. Uh, yeah, but he's just he's just not what he was. No, and he's also not the same kind of player as Harry Kane. Like Jose Mourinho found a perfect, not a perfect foil, but a, a pretty neat foil in Harry Kane. You know, he's a Didier Drogba type. He's becoming that in. It's like Harry Kane isn't in his late career, but he's in this a new stage in his career than his earlier stage when he had a bit more pace about him. He's a guy that's going to hold up the ball. He's a guy that's technically very good on the ball. He's a guy that's going to offload passes and link up play well. That none of that was ever Gareth Bale's style. He is, um, for lack of a better word, a champagne footballer. He is someone that does the the highlights reel. He is someone that gets the ball, runs at players, scores goals shows up in the right positions and does something spectacular. That is not Jose Mourinho football. It never has been. And I don't think it ever will be. I think Jose Mourinho hasn't fancied Bale all season. I think it's a classic example of we can get Bale. Do we get Bale? And he said, yeah, sure. Why not? Like what's it, you know, at, at the very least, we just don't use him, which is what's happened. He scores against Wickham Wanderers in an FA Cup tie and nobody wants to win. Um, that That's where his career is at the moment. And it's kind of sad. I don't think he can really replace what Kane is doing for the team and and while I'm not saying Spurs are going to drop through the table I think it's going to be tough for them for the next few weeks because yeah, they they sit behind West Ham now in, in sixth place and like I do wonder like if they were to finish in sixth place would that be enough for Mourinho to keep his job at the end of the season I think so because I think um I've forgotten his name already <laughs> the name of the of the CEO at uh Daniel Levy. Spurs. Daniel Levy has faith in him and he does stick with his managers even when it's unpopular. And he does sack managers also when it's unpopular. But think of Andres Villas Boas, think of of Wande Ramos, think of Harry Redknapp. You know, things were going very wrong at, at different parts of their and and of the, you know, they continue to go wrong right up to the end of their tenure as a manager. And Daniel Levy stuck with them until the end, till the better end. Like Pochettino was kind of a, an anomaly in itself that he he did indeed sack him at the time. I think there was other things happening behind the scenes that really precipitated that departure. Um, but yeah, I think he will stick with Mourinho. I think sixth place, they'd be, they'd take it in, a, in an instant if you offer it to them right now. As Mick McCarthy would say, if you could give him a draw, he'd take it. I think they'd absolutely would take sixth place because you remember there's, I think there's five teams within a win or two of Spurs at the moment, like as in going back the way. I think up to both Villa and... Uh, both Aston Villa and Everton have two games in hand, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, on Spurs at the moment. At least one game in hand. And I think that would leapfrog them over Spurs. So there there is a concern there for for Tottenham that they could fall further down the table, and then Arsenal right on their tails, and that that could be. Um, I think that would be pretty much humiliating, considering how bad a uh, middle of you know was a f- middle fifth, second fifth in our bad season. Uh, when they just lost every match in a row, like if if to them to be overtaken by the you know shambolic state of affairs for Spurs. Uh, speaking of shambolic, uh, Man United suffered one of the upsets of the season to Sheffield United uh, midweek. But how big of an upset was it really? It was a pretty big upset. If you think about it, like I know I saw that expected league table going around that Sheffield United should be in like tenth or something, given the chances they've had and the matches they played. You know the. The, the adage was used during the week that last season they won the odd match 1-0 and now they're losing the odd match 1-0 and that's how fine the margin is. That's why they're bottom of the table. Um, and you can see that it was like that even at the weekend when they lost to Man City. It was similar, very small margins in the end that kind of defeated them. Against Manchester United, they showed what they are about. They defended resolutely. They created chances and they were dangerous. And they, like when Billy Sharp is in your line and causing you danger, it's probably a bit more concerning for Manchester United than it is for Sheffield United. 
uh, that he was causing him so much trouble running from the center circle, but he was. Um, I it, it it's just regression to the mean again. That's what I think. I don't think it's a, it's a massive um, negative to put on Manchester United. I think they had a good run of form uh, the last couple of months since they lost to Arsenal, and I think it's just time catching up with them again. This season is so random that every few weeks we're going to have a, another large team going through a turbulent time because the squad depth isn't necessarily where it needs to be. The quality depth isn't necessarily where it needs to be. And the manager depth isn't necessarily where it needs to be. So we've seen already this season, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs again now, uh, Chelsea obviously having sacked Frank Lampard. All of these teams have had dips in form and significant dips in form. And I just think it's Manchester United's turn on the merry-go-round. Yeah, I've heard it. Uh, I heard the term crisis conch uh, be used last week to describe the fact that it's like a, it's like a, a baton that you had in a, in a relay race. Yeah. Like it's your turn to hold the crisis now. Now it's your turn. And they just seem to go through this cycle of, you know, uh, it was Liverpool two weeks ago. Then Liverpool handed the baton to Man United. Baton, Man United are going to hand the baton to Tottenham now. And Tottenham are going to hand it to... Arsenal or Man City next and it just seems to be this endless cycle there's always one crisis club um, there's, a, there's a tweet by Duncan Alexander that was a good riff on a, on a different tweet uh, this is a very Twitter humour right now but he had a good yeah. <laughs> the, the whole point of the Premier League is that every day there's one crisis club and your job is to never be that crisis club Yeah, uh, which I think pretty much sums it up quite well and, and it's I suppose the next game will really decide whether that crisis club is Man United or whether it's uh, Tottenham, because uh, they're the two in the worst form over the last two games, uh, which is not a really a big sample size as to how a team's form is. But uh, to go back to the Sheffield United match, uh, like I think the fact that it's like obviously there's no such thing as uh, yeah being able or randomness uh, coming out and and karmically deciding something because. Uh, you know, that's not real. But if ever a match was to be described as like a karmic balance, uh, you could almost describe it as Sheffield United beating Manchester United 2-1 because, as you said, Sheffield United have lost a lot of games by one, a lot of close games that have just gone against them. And the flip side of that is Man United have won a lot of close games that have gone in their favour. Like, they've, they've won a lot of games 1-0 and 2-1. So for Sheffield United to then get the reverse of that and actually win a close game and it be against Manchester United is very much kind of a balancing out for both teams that, you know, they, they both, they both had kind of luck go the opposite way to it, to the way it usually does, which kind of just balances out a little. Um, so in many ways, it's, it's hard to read too much into the result itself, just because as you said, like this season has been so random that we're going to get results like this. And it, I've heard it described as well as like the biggest upset of the season, which <laughs> I don't know about you, but Liverpool is except two to Aston Villa, I think was a pretty big surprise. Uh, so I, w- surprise. I would go with that one. <laughs> yeah. Surprise and upset are, I think two different things like Liverpool, obviously losing, were they an unbe- it was an unbeaten record as well. They lost at the time to, to uh, you know, the up and coming Aston Villa, and then just be just decimated the way they were was was quite crazy. But you know, in a normal season, the top the team at the top of the table losing to the team at the bottom of the table is generally a a pretty a pretty startling turn of events. Especially the team had only won one match this season so far. You know, we're we're in danger of derby. We're in the derby territory. Happen, yeah. So it's I under it's a bit hyperbolic, but you know that's what that's what football commentary is these days. 
Yeah, like obviously it was a bad result United and they did play pretty poorly in that game, but uh, given the way results have gone, like they were due that kind of match that just happened to come up against Sheffield United. It was maybe I suppose the worst team they could possibly lose to just because they are last. Um, so it just kind of looked extra humiliating. But ultimately, I think the, their next few results will kind of decide how devastating this defeat that was. Because if they just go ahead and win the next four games, then we can easily forget about the, the fact that they lost to Sheffield United. It, it's, it becomes just kind of a thing that happened. Uh, but if they do go ahead and continue in the next four games, that's when we can really start to analyze where things are going wrong for for Man United and where thing like how things of the contrast between uh, how their results have been just now and w- what poor results might follow. Um, but it's all speculation up to now, so it's going to be interesting to see how they react. We obviously we'll talk about that Arsenal game later, I think. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think fatigue as well is becoming a thing. I, I, I've had this theory as well with Solskjaer that if you remember last season when we came back from the 100-day break, Man United kind of settled into the same starting 11 pretty quickly and they used that same starting 11 like six, seven games in a row. And for those first four or five games, they played quite well and they won pretty comfortably. They, they beat Sheffield United 3-0, they beat Aston Villa 3-0, they beat Bournemouth 5-2. Uh, you know, they were quite comfortable in those wins. They beat Brighton pretty handily as well. And then they got to playing West Ham and Southampton and you could see they were just visibly fatigued from playing so many games because Solskjaer had settled into his starting eleven because he the yeah. team picked itself at that point. And, yeah. you know, they just about got over the line beating Leicester on the final day. And if I you think back to Leicester. This, yeah, Leicester that had completely collapsed. And then if you think back to the start of this season and they lose to Crystal Palace, they lose to Tottenham really humiliatingly. And it starts to become less obvious who the starting eleven is. So Solskjaer has to kind of figure it out again. Like, oh, is this player the like he you know he, he rotated Bai in for Lindelof. He brought in Talese at left back. Uh, he's been playing the double pivot of Scott McTominay and Fred, but then sometimes playing Matic and Paul Pogba. And it's been like, which one of these is the better pairing? And uh, it feels like that actually moved to Manchester United's benefit. Because it was rotating players by just process of trying to figure out who the best starting eleven was, and now in the last few weeks, Solskjaer has kind of increasingly become more confident of who his best eleven is, and they're playing more football and they're getting more fatigued and they're running into the same problem they ran into against West Ham and Southampton last season. So it's going to be interesting to see now does Solskjaer react by saying, "Hmm, we played poorly last couple of games. What if I try Danny Van der Beek or what if I try?" Daniel James again because remember he came in against Leeds or what if I play yeah. Dean Henderson so it's going to be interesting to see does he go back to rotating in and out or does he stick with okay I'm going I'm playing Bruno Fernandes every game I'm playing Marcus Rashford every game because right now it does feel like he's at that fork in the road where he's going to need to decide one way or the other and it could be pretty pivotal for the rest of their season yeah it, it, it really could and you know what Solskjaer does I I wonder like what what is the height of this Manchester United team and what's the depth that they can go to like what's their over under on their league position like where I don't think they'll can win the league I don't think they'll finish second in the league but they could finish as high as third but they could also drop out of the Champions League spots and I think the next couple of weeks are going to be crucial and Solskjaer will have to watch that because a few losing matches and a few other you know if Everton get their act together if if, if Spurs manage to you know figure out what to do without Kane. If, you know, Chelsea under Tuchel managed to do something, you know, Manchester United's position could be in danger. But then again, 
can they can they cement themselves and be the you know the ever present in the top four for the whole season? It all depends on what Solskjaer does in the next couple of weeks. And uh, Tom, Thomas Tuchel took charge of his first two Chelsea games. What were your first impressions? Um, he is very quickly trying to change the way they were playing. Like they've gone to a very it's almost Sarri ball esque style of football, passing the ball for the sake of passing the ball a lot. Jorginho's becoming a, a lot more important to it. He's brought back in wing backs. He's brought attacking players back to those defensive roles. I think the teams they played and having played at Stamford Bridge as well really did help them in these games because they're playing on a tight pitch that was really bad, to be honest, and in, in, in kind of crappy conditions. So there wasn't a lot of attacking and adventurous, 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 whatever. There wasn't much adventure from Wolves or from, um, oh my God, who did they play at the weekend that they beat? Burnley. Burnley. Yes, Burnley. There wasn't much adventure from either of those teams. When they did, they kind of put a bit of pressure under under Chelsea at the back. I remember um, the young striker for Burnley having the chance when they were already losing, I think, 2-0. Um, so, the, you know, there there is still concern there at Chelsea. And I think that we, we don't know much from these for opening two games. All I know is Tuchel did attack his, his, his attackers. So there is a definite knowledge that there is, uh, there is an underperformance happening from the likes of Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud, Tammy Abraham, uh, etc. So, you know, there, there's problems to solve there for Tuchel, but um, he is making instant changes to the team. And then finally, the Premier League confirmed that for the period between January 25th to the 31st of 2,957 COVID tests, only seven came back positive. Uh, you know, we were pretty concerned about the amount of positive tests we were getting back at the start of the month. But do you think now we're kind of past the worst of it and that it was a case that players just kind of got a bit more relaxed around Christmas time and it wasn't actually to do with the kind of more easily spreadable uh, UK strain that, that we've seen in the news. Well, we can only hope. Like, if it, if it is a case that they got more relaxed, so did everyone else in, in, in the UK at the time and you can't blame them from going along with everybody else. So in that case, it's fair enough. It, they're fortunate there hasn't been any major incidents, I suppose, and people have, have stayed in protocol and it, it it's working out. Like I still would have a bit of concern over, you know, it only takes one major outbreak for this whole thing to shut down. Like it did last season after the Olympiacos Arsenal match when when it, it just ran through Arsenal and, and that was the end of that. I, I I don't think they would they would stop the Premier League for a similar outbreak, but at the same time you just need one 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 group of players to have it and then to play a match and then it's everywhere. So uh, I have cautious optimism regarding the, the recent uh, results back that, that there's so few positive t- cases, um, but we'll, we'll wait and see on it. Yeah, because like I think rightly there was a lot of kind of pessimism uh, around Christmas time, just because the positive cases did reach pretty high numbers relative to what we've seen. Like seven is, is relatively low, like it's still you know, seven more than we would like to see. But, uh, you know, as long as it's well contained and it's looked after and they're tested routinely, you know, it can be managed. So uh, hopefully, yeah, I think cautious optimism is is kind of the right mental attitude to have at the moment because, like, it, it hasn't really been an issue. Like, obviously, Aston Villa uh, had to shut down their whole training base and they ended up having to play the kids in the FA Cup and they missed a couple of league games. But... They come back. They've got back into the swing of things. They've played a few games now, and everything seems to be back up and running. And we've not had any postponements now for for a good number of weeks. So I yeah. think I think that's all a step in the right direction, really. Yeah, long may it continue. Three for me and two for them. 
Respect. Respect. Respect, man. Respect. Respect. Teams are playing three times a week every week these days and the impact on the players is becoming quite clear. It was another low scoring weekend with yet another high profile nil nil draw. This is one of many goalless draws between big clubs we've seen this season. What has been the cause of this trend and will we see it continue into the rest of the campaign? Yeah, I still think so. What do you think, Declan? It's your, what's your opinion on this? Well... Obviously, I'm talking about the Arsenal Man United match that happened on Saturday evening at the Emirates, mm. and we we built into that game thinking that you know obviously there's a, a two clubs a historical rivalry. You know, it's usually a big game between the two. I feel like it's it's rare enough that they draw nil nil. It's rare enough that they play out a pretty dismal game. I suppose the one earlier in the season was pretty dismal, but this one, like. I get that both teams carved out a couple of chances, but they all seem to happen for, through happenstance more than a coherent plan. And the standard of football was just so bad and so frustrating to watch that it just led to a really uninteresting viewing experience. Like, I thought it was just a pretty dreadful game. Like, obviously, it could have finished 1-1. It could have finished 2-1 or 2-all. Like, I'm not saying that there weren't chances and that both teams were just clearly playing for a nil-nil. I think both teams did try to win this game. But the standard of football between both teams is just so bad and they both looked so out of breath and gassed and tired that it led to a lot of lame passing moves and a lot of slow-down possession. And then it wasn't helped by the fact that there were just a lot of stupid fouls that Michael Oliver seemed to just not really take good handle of either. Um, you know, there are a good few yellows handed out by the end of the game, but like Bruno Fernandez could have been sent off. I think Cedric Suarez was lucky that he didn't get a bit more targeted after he got that yellow card um uh, pretty early in the game. Um like Man United doing stuff like playing Marcus Rashford at it on the right when it clearly just doesn't suit him or the team to do that. Uh like it just kind of dragged the team down, which is unfortunate. Um, because Max Rashford ends up kind of getting the blame for that, and then that goes into the whole other issue that we've seen with Manchester United of um people racially abusing some of their players yeah. on Twitter and Instagram, so just a whole other issue, um, that I think we've discussed uh in depth quite a lot, unfortunately, over the years. Um, so I think everything just kind of came together for just a pretty miserable match. Because like, I know you uh, thought a bit more of the match, but it it was just the fact that like. There was just an incident um, right near the end of the game after Lacazette had been down injured, which in itself was, I suppose, frustrating as a viewer because it felt like it was the third or fourth uh, long injury break that happened in the match. And it was right when the um, injury time was given out and it was only three minutes and it took the whole three minutes before Lacazette was up and ready to go again. But I think it was the 94th or 95th minute. Harry, Harry Maguire received the ball from David De Gea and took three touches to get settled on the ball and then he just passed it back to Dab De Gea and I think uh. like I think that kind of summed up what everyone on the pitch kind of played like there was no real flow to the game at all and it was just very frustrating to watch and it's been like that in other high profile nil nils between Man United as well Man United have played in uh, pretty crap games with Chelsea and, and Man City Chelsea, the one against Tottenham as well. And they all played out in a very similar way. Yeah. Very cagey. They kind of lacked flow. Players just making rocky mistakes, kind of looking amateurish out there. 
Um, like I thought Fred had a pretty terrible game. Um, I think just Arsenal weren't up to the standard that you would expect of an Arsenal Man United game either. Like I don't think there was any particular individual performance for Arsenal the way it was for Man United, but I think as a collective, you know, and I know they've been playing poorly up to now, but it just it led into another poor game. Like I, I don't know what you thought of the match, but I, I think this is this is becoming a worrying trend uh, for the Premier League. Well, I see. I see what you're saying. I understand. I I did enjoy it a bit more. I thought there was a bit more life to it than there had been in say the Tottenham Chelsea match or one of the Man United Chelsea or Man United Tottenham matches that we've. Oh no, not Tottenham. That was six one. What's what's the other Man United match uh, that they played this season against Liverpool? I think was pretty was pretty terrible. Um, but th- this this yeah, I can I can understand what you meant. It was very sluggish. A lot of lot of players kind of looked tired, looked fatigued. Like Arsenal were ravaged by injury as well. Like playing and you know the reserve right back is the left back. You know Cedric Suarez, who you said you know did have a difficult evening and was booked early on and lucky not to really be targeted more. Um, Thomas Partey back from injury who even in a post-match interview uh, said that he had one of the worst games he has had played playing football in recent times because he wasn't he wasn't fit he didn't feel fit he made a lot of mistakes as you said he made simple passing mistakes the likes of Harry Maguire as you, as you, you said just you know kind of being Harry Maguire being a big slab and you know not really having that much control of the ball um, there were there was bad performances throughout. I just thought this match was a little bit better than than those aforementioned games because there was chances and both teams took a fair few mounted chances and really if it wasn't for a good goalkeeping from David Hay and um Bernd Leno, both teams probably would have scored a couple of goals. So for for that reason I think there there was a bit more life into this one. I also think though it was it was a match that both of them were settled with a draw and there was no disappointment, I don't think, from not either Arteta or um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at full time they both you know feigned at that and they, go, they, they had their chances but both were probably pretty ecstatic not to be humiliated not to have another week of like oh you're a terrible manager type of uh, acquisition which they both faced this season um, after such games that they, they've come out the, the worst of um, but I think that kind of bled into the players that they knew that this was fine as a draw that they didn't really have to go for it that you know both teams have eminently winnable matches coming up and have had them in recent times and United just had that upset in midweek so you know they could have drew with not really losing another match back to back so it, yeah I, 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 I see exactly where you're coming from I, and it is a worrying concern that, that these this will happen more often because definitely when it comes to to certain big games certain managers of these big teams Solskjaer um, Frank Lampard previously before he left and uh, Jose Mourinho they're very conservative in the way they approach these matches they play everyone behind the ball and they play in the counter-attack and if you get two teams who do that generally you don't get any action because you're, you're, you're fighting a stalemate and it's, it's almost always down to a mistake or a stupid thing to happen uh, for anything to really come alive in a match and so far this season we haven't had such a stupid mistake because teams are playing even more conservatively than normal um, so it it is likely to continue as we, we said in the earlier part I, I hope that Man City Liverpool isn't as much like that because in the past at least they, they've tended to be a bit more adventurous in their, both in the way they set up and the players they pick to play and um, especially when there's things on the line that match will be good but yeah if, if, if we're looking at a Man United Spurs match in a, a few weeks I wouldn't be uh, hoping for another 6-1 I'd say that yeah, because I think ultimately a lot of this comes down to the 
the issue we've talked about a lot as well is there's just complete lack of compromise on the calendar. Like, mm. like I open this thing week, by no saying, what, yeah. yeah, they're playing midweek every week at the moment, which is just obscene. Like, you know, obviously when they were doing it at the start of the season, it was because there was Champions League and Europa League going on. It was a bit more understandable. Like that, that kind of does happen at that start at that stage of the season. But this is kind of normally the period where the big teams get a bit of respite. They're able to get into a normal routine of preparing for Saturday or Sunday, training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, day off Thursday or whatever, and then game again on Saturday or, or Sunday instead of this cycle of, like, even just as, like, a viewer, it's a bit exhausting being like, oh, my God, like, it's not even registering some days where it's like, oh, my God, this team's playing again today. That doesn't seem right at all. Like, it feels unnatural being like, yeah. oh, my God. And, and it's going to be the same tomorrow. Like, there's... Arsenal and Man United play tomorrow against Wolves and Southampton, I think. And it's going to hit me at like five o'clock tomorrow and be like, oh my God, Arsenal are playing today. Uh, like it's just becoming like, it's becoming exhausting enough for the, the viewer that it's like, I just feel bad for the players because these managers don't have squads big enough and capable enough to rotate adequately to preserve their bodies. Like no wonder yep. we're seeing so many injuries and no wonder we're seeing so many kind of dull nil nil draws in the big games because the big games are the ones you can afford to draw the most like as you said may not in arsenal there's no real harm drawing to either of these teams nil nil um but it's when they play southampton it's when they play sheffield united that they they need to be getting the wins and that's kind of what's making the difference in what yeah. will probably be a low scoring uh league win um, like we're looking at eighty points still, I think is yeah. is the barrier for, yeah, may, maybe eighty five if if Man City uh, do put on a run. Yeah, it's it's unlikely, but I, I would say eighty five is the maximum we're gonna see this year. But eighty yeah. is kind of the benchmark. Uh, so these nil nil these these big games do mean less, which is is disappointing because in the last few years I feel like the big games have been. Quite exciting, particularly the the ones between Liverpool and and Man City that are coming up. But like the Man United Chelsea games last year were were fun. Like it did end up being a bit one sided in in the Old Trafford game, where it was four nil and then two nil to Man United Stamford Bridge. But there was also the Manchester derbies were were fun. Um, Tottenham and Man City played some entertaining throwback games. Like. I don't think did any of them finish nil nil last year. Like they were all they were all goals. It all at the very least, it felt like someone was going to score. Whereas in these games, like you get to 50 minutes and it's like no one's scoring in this game. Yeah. No one even really deserves to score in this game. Like it almost seems like a good argument for the the people that say nil-nils deserve to be zero-point games for, for teams. Uh, yeah. Cause, or we go like, to a penalty shootout immediately. You know, there is that. <laughs> there is that as well. Um, yeah. Like I know, I know what you're saying on it. The one thing that does come to my mind as well, and it's something that a lot of the broadcasters have started showing a lot more, is the the time during a match when teams tend to score. Like Manchester United heavily score in the last fifteen minutes, while Arsenal don't. They score heavily in the you know fifteen minutes preceding the last thirty minutes. Um, like the the forty five to sixty mark, that's where Arsenal heavily score. Meanwhile, the likes of Man City try try to score in the first fifteen minutes. There's um, it's as if the the teams are no longer targeting full halves or full matches, but they're targeting quarters of the game to really put their effort into, and then the rest of it's kind of relaxes and sit, becomes sitting football. 
And I think that's a an unusual trend that probably feeds into this as well, that if a team doesn't make a breakthrough within that time, they kind of just revert back into themselves. Similar to what, you know, when you start a match and you see a lot of teams, um, quote unquote, feeling each other out, um, you know, they just pass the ball around their back and they're they're playing a few long balls, but they're not really committing anything forward. That's kind of what happens now for certain teams in like the 50 minute mark to the 70 minute mark, and then they'll go for it again or or vice versa. Um, it, it is an interesting trend of this as well, of just players kind of conserving their energy and teams, you know, being conservative in their in their playing style. Ultimately, I think it just doesn't really bode well. Like, I don't think that makes good entertaining football. Like, I think maybe it makes for entertaining periods. And I think the most entertaining period of this match on Saturday was when Arsenal went for it at the start of the second half, because that was when they kind of created their most their best chances. They, I think that was when they hit the crossbar as well from a free kick off Lacazette. And, yeah. Uh, David Aya, or it wasn't David Aya, it was Aaron Wabasaka. I think it was made a... Or was Harry Maguire made a good block on uh, Nicolas Pepe chance? Uh, like I think that was probably the most thrilling moment of the match. Like Man United did have a couple of chances near the end as well, and uh, and I think the XG read that both teams did enough to score a goal, um, or a goal and a half even. Uh, but on on that day they ended up not taking the chance. Cavani had that weird chance where he took it off Martial and he the bicycle kicked it weirdly wide and. Like, there were a couple of chances, but it just, there was no sustained momentum at all. Like, it definitely felt like, okay, we'll attack now for 10 minutes, and then we'll sit back and we'll let you attack for 10 minutes. And it just doesn't lead to good football matches. And if if no. this is this is what the constrained calendar is going to lead to, then it is worrying, especially when you consider the fact that absolutely no compromise is even planned to go ahead on the calendar. Like, we're still going to get an international break in March. We're still going to get the Euros in the summer. We're still going to get the Euros set in 12 cities, by the way, uh, according to UEFA, which is obscene in and of itself. We're still going to get the World Cup interrupting uh, the 21-22 campaign. Uh, or is it the 22-23 campaign? I can't remember. Uh, like, all these things are coming together, and it's just... It's leading to uh, a cause for concern for the amount of football that we're making people actually sit through and play like it, it's too much uh like we've even seen like just in the last two games now it's become very obvious that bruno fernandez who was one of the most exciting players to watch earlier in the season has just become drained like i know he's made comments saying oh no i'm not tired i i've i've no time to be tired when i'm 26 or whatever but you know he, he can talk all he likes we can the evidence is is when we see him on the pitch and he's not running as much he's He's not doing as much on the ball. He's not getting in the box as much. And like, that's just disappointing. Like, it feels like we're being robbed of something greater um, because we're making uh, players just do too much. And I, I think, I, I do hope that this Liverpool Man City match, I do have, I do have an optimism that this match will be good. I think the match at the Eddie had was good, though I think it was one all draw and De Bruyne missed that penalty. But, I think the next time Man United play a big game, I'm just not going to watch it as Zoom is going to finish nil-nil because it's becoming that much of a trend at the moment. Yeah, and yeah, it it does seem under the current management, in the current circumstances, it's not going to change. We are truly living in the real-world version of David Mitchell's satirical sketch, uh, football, football, football. 
because of course there is another round of midweek games coming from yeah. this Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, the big one, I suppose, is another big game uh, between Chelsea and Tottenham. The reverse fixture was one of the worst games of the league season so far. Ever. So yeah. uh, surely this one can't be any worse. I, I So there's a couple of circumstances around this. One, uh, Tottenham are having a bit of an injury concern. They're they're linked with Diego Costa. They have no no one's been signed at the point of recording. That would be interesting if he is and whether he would be fit to start that match if he did come in for them. Uh, but if it is Gareth Bale again, I think Chelsea have the have the requisite defensive components to battle that. Um, I think Tottenham are going to set up. It, it's at White Hart Lane this time, isn't it? It's at um, it's not their last. Sorry, correct. Yes. So um, for that reason, I think it'll be harder for. Uh, Spurs is set up in a defensive manner as they did uh, at White Hart Lane and the pitch is actually slightly better at White Hart Lane than it is at Stamford Bridge. That all goes against Spurs. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what exactly Tuchel though, to Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel? Uh, however we decide to, how to pronounce his name in the end. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does because this is his first real test. I think the first two matches were a bit shot to nothing like Wolves was a ridiculous match where Wolves didn't attack at all and I could see it becoming a bit like that uh, at White Hart Lane where Spurs don't attack at all and they just rely entirely on their defence and hope that's enough for them and maybe they get a counter-attack um, it's become a bit of a must win though or at least must get a result and if that's a draw or if that's a hardy draw for, for Spurs they'll be happy with it um, but if they get a defeat then you're you're looking through the as you said earlier the crisis club is definitely or definitely Spurs at that point I think Chelsea can afford to lose this two who's still in a honeymoon period and anything can happen but Spurs can't I don't think yeah because they sit six and seven in the table Tottenham have played a game fewer but they're both on 33 points they're four points off no sorry six points off Leicester in fourth so you figure like I get what you mean and that Chelsea can afford to lose this, lose this game just because Tuchel has just come in and you're right, they're still in the honeymoon period. But if they do lose this game and then Leicester beat, uh, they play Fulham <laughs> the yeah. day before. Uh, Leicester which, need to bounce back as well given their last yeah. week or so, yeah. And I, Fulham did actually beat Leicester earlier in the season, but Leicester at home are not as good as Leicester away, which is this is on in Craven Cottage. So like, if Leicester do get a result there, then it becomes... Uh, nine points which at that point like obviously it can be recovered but it's becoming a a long road back to to catch up to Leicester even though like obviously they do have the history of last season and collapsing but you know maybe they've learned from that lesson and and this could be a big game for for either side if they do want to get top four this year yeah and the like I don't want to say because we've said it a couple of times in the earlier in the season, this is a must-win match or it's an all-or-nothing match or it's something you know it's going to impede on the season. But we're running out of these now. We're we're more than halfway through the season, and the league is starting to shape a bit now. You know where it's not as tight as it was even a couple of weeks ago when you could separate the top half of the table by a few points. Now it's kind of spreading out a bit, as you said, six separate six points separate what sixth place and fourth place. So we're starting to see the league form, and you know these teams really have to set themselves up. What part of that top half league do you want to be in? Do you want to be in the Champions League challenging places or do you want to be down near 10th? Because it, it, it's going to be a sad last three months for all the teams down at 10th, 9th, 8th place because I think they'll, they'll separate out. Uh, and then finally, the game we've been alluding to all along, uh, Liverpool against Man City at, at Anfield. Who do you see taking this one? 
Honestly, I'm looking at Liverpool, Man City, you know, De Bruyne is out. They've, you know, been struggling for creativity. They they were even struggling with creativity with De Bruyne in the side. I think pound for pound, they're playing the best football in the league at the moment, but that's still not scoring them goals. Uh, so I would be concerned from a Man City point of view going into this tie that Liverpool are trying to get their stuff together. Um, defensively is the only thing where Liverpool obviously have that weak spot. And if, if these new players can come in and, and give a bit of solidity and give a bit of confidence to the fullbacks for attacking, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold got a bit forward at West Ham because he was able to against West Ham. And, uh, you know, obviously Andy Robinson as well is, is, always a, is always a threat. So it'll be a case to see whether the, these players actually have that freedom to attack at City. And, you know, City's defence, while being more resolute this season, is always, uh, it's never been the strongest part of their game. And I, I actually feel Liverpool could get this one. Yeah, because like Liverpool did lose um, their home record there in the last game against Burnley, but other than that, they've been extremely solid. Uh, that that Burnley game was a bit of an aberration as well in the fact that it was the one time Burnley went forward, they ended up earning a, a penalty. Uh, you know, Liverpool had a lot of chances in that game that they missed. It was it was just one of those classic games where they got Burnley uh, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, this will be a very different game to that. Man City will, Man City will play very differently to Burnley. Um, so, you know, it might suit Liverpool more if Man City come out and try and attack them. And, you know, we might see one of those kind of basketball-type matches where both teams kind of have a go at each other at the same time and see who comes out on top. Um, certainly, that's what we're hoping for. Um, it would be pretty dull if Man City ended up turning into Burnley. Uh, yeah. even if that maybe gives them a slighter, slightly better chance of winning. Uh, so like it, it is a big week for the top four at the moment. Like we've got Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Leicester in that order, separated by five points. With Man City having a game in hand on the three below them. Um, Man City play Burnley, Man United play Southampton, Liverpool play Brighton, and and Leicester play Fulham. Like they're all kind of winnable games like you'd imagine i suppose man united are probably the most likely to drop points there um but then going into the next week if they all do win that game then really a lot can change just because liverpool and man city play each other like leicester play wolves then man united play everton like you know uh, there's a lot of points on the board there like mm. we could see we could see everton come back into the top four battle next week um they do have two games in hand as well you know, we could see this is where Everton fall away. This could be where Man United fall away. This could be where Southampton make a charge. Uh, you know, this could be make or break for Leicester if they win these two games. Maybe they'll be that bit clear in the top four battle just because of Chelsea playing Tottenham. Like, I think this could be a big we- big week for the eventual shaping of the league, league uh, coming into the season. Yeah, absolutely. Like Everton are on their like I love watching Everton's form chart because they're the most consistent, inconsistent team I've ever seen. Yeah. They love like winning, drawing, losing, winning, drawing, losing, or you know, get you know in threes. Basically, they either get a you know in some format they'll get a they'll, their matches go around in a three. So they're they're due a win now. So you should back Everton to win this the next match and and probably lose the one after it. Um, yeah, so it, it is the shakeup is still there. Like I we said, like I'm expecting West Ham to drop through the table at some point you know the i know they they've tried to do some deals on on transfer deadline day they don't have the depth in squad to really maintain any type of challenge at, at the champions league i think um they will be found out on that and after that you're looking at five teams challenging for one spot really in europe um and whether that does become a champions league spot or not depends on the, on the top 4 um any of them could do it 
on this season's form and the way this topsy-turvy season has gone they're all capable of scoring goals they're all capable of keeping clean sheets so it is just a case of can they get their form going at the right time to to take them over and take them towards a a solid place in the a solid finishing place in the premier league and like really it could be any it could be any of those teams and uh, we could take thoughts on the fact that Arsenal don't have to play Man United again for the rest of the season, so it can only go up from here. Yeah, well, like, as you said, I don't think it was that bad of a match. There was interest, intrigue, there was chances. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I have much more concern ahead for our listeners for the Tottenham-Chelsea match. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, looking bright, bright, brighter in the future as always. Yeah, there's still Tuesday and Wednesday, I suppose, if uh, if we're looking for entertainment. But uh, until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell your family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. The show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Substack at declanhart.substack.com where I publish two weekly newsletters that will often go further in-depth on topics discussed during our shows. Those pieces can also be found on Medium at medium.com slash at cheesyheartbun, H-I-R-T-E. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Kanban27 and myself at cheesyheartbun. Most of all, thank you for listening and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.